Welcome to episode 11 of Fistful of Chords. I'm delighted to say my guest this week is Shingi Shaniwa, who shot to fame as singer and bassist with the Noisettes and is now an acclaimed solo artist. I caught up with Shingi recently over Zoom as she prepared to release her new album, Too Bold. First of all, thanks for coming on the show. Um, how, has, how has lockdown treated you? Oh gosh, well, <laughs> I guess it's, it's been a bit of a roller coaster for, for all of us. Yeah, my mum has um, some uh, health, some existing health issues. She's a breast cancer survivor and she's also survived a stroke. So she lives, um, she lives out in Kent. And so my siblings and I, who are also artists, decided that, look, if we stay in London, we don't know if we really can be going back and forth because we didn't want to put mum at risk and stuff. So we all just sort of packed our bags and left our flats in London and did the whole lockdown with um, with mum and, 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 and some of our nieces and nephews got a big, big house in Kent. So that was really, really um, important for us to all kind of be together. I've been touring for the best part of the last decade. So it was nice to kind of re-get to know everyone again. My siblings who are also artists, my brother Quay is an incredible musician. My sister um, Chipo is also an amazing uh, actress. And so we did a show together. We created a, a live stream, which was called Grounded, live from the fam base, as in the family base kind of HQ with mum keeping us grounded. So we, we did 12 episodes of a live stream every Saturday without fail. That's fantastic. Is that what you, was that on the? Did you put that on the floor? Was that how you did it? Yes. Yeah, so, so actually, <clears throat> yeah, the floor were really, really helpful with providing us some of the the broadcasting stuff that we needed to get up and get it up and running. Uh, David and Simon were really supportive, and we just stream. We, we kind of turned a, a really big room next to the garage into a music room where we all you know do the performances. And um, yes, we, we, we did it in collaboration with The Floor. Yeah, it was wonderful. You know, we had some weeks we'd have a couple thousand, some weeks we'd have 6,000, 8,000 people tuning in and we streamed it with The Floor and across our social media platforms. So that was actually really a good way to keep focus, Jim, because there was so much fear mongering and just so much, like every time you turned on the news, it was just kind of a recipe for another little down moment so just having something creative and you know having a couple of rehearsals with my siblings that I haven't lived with since I was a teenager was brilliant because <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that helped us kind of just sort of get along actually it was really needed I think a, a, a lot of artists found the kind of streaming virtual concert sort of or virtual performance outlet I think it had mixed reactions with different people but for me it was a bit of a lifeline and it's probably what's going to have to happen in some ways for the next maybe year or so that's right yeah yeah we're going to be doing my um album preview for too bold we're going to do a preview first week of october and it's going to be virtual it was going to be attended but then obviously we heard the announcements last week and we were going to do this magical amazing event with like the secret garden and stuff and you know now we have to do it virtually so yeah we're all having to adapt and it just makes you forces you to be even more creative i'm i'm already quite a vivid imaginatory type I've got a vivid imagination so I think now that we're doing more stuff online the ideas are just getting I think people's ideas are just going to get a lot more crazier and crazier because it's harder to cut through the noise because everybody's online now so yes. but at least there are so many there's a lot more direct fans artists kind of engagement now actually how do you bounce off an audience um, if they if you can't see them or hear them 
it, you know, I'm not going to lie, it's totally not the same, Jim. It's really, you really feel like sometimes at the beginning, the technology can kind of get in the way a little bit. But then once you sort of start seeing people's comments and, you know, they're just kind of showing all these loves and you might do your IG lives and all the hearts start flying up on the right hand side there are little things that still make it that still make you kind of really see how important it is to still connect but it will never it will never replace live that's something that i think people are going to come back to with a fervor once we're allowed to to do that again but this is important as well and it's a part of our story as as the world and we have to ride it and and be be creative with it be imaginative with it and and remember that we're the key workers as well in our own way because people need a lot of upliftment right now you know So we, yeah, it's, it's, I feel like it's a, it's a service that I just, I want to keep, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm present for the fans and people that want music or to talk about creativity. So many people don't have an outlet. So for me, I'm going to just carry on, carry on with it really. Well, good. And how do, how do you yeah. think it's going to um, affect, I mean, people who work in the industry across the industry, you know, people who, uh, who hire out rigs or whatever, how are they ever going to manage to, to sort of get through this financially? Yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's, it's it's really it's really devastated a lot of of, of set, a lot of sectors and concerning the creative sector, I mean you know don't get me started. My, my as I said, my my sister's a is an actress and she was in a play, a theatre play that was touring Europe. It was due to come to to, to the UK. She was actually playing Winnie Mandela. They just did this amazing musical about Nelson Mandela finally there was this great musical and then by the time it was February and they were in Italy obviously that happened so she was put on one of the last sort of emergency flights (laughs) to try and get back here so the theatre industry has been hit just as hard luckily I'll be seeing my um, my friend and tour manager again because we've got our um, an Italian tour that I had booked it's been put back on for October because they figured Fantastic. out how to sort of socially distance and they've put a lot of measures in place. So I, I'm hoping that we're not more than three to six months behind places like Italy and Poland. I've got another friend of mine that's just done a tour in Poland and they've, they've recovered quite well and put their measures and stuff in place. So, so it's, yeah, it's, it's hit everybody hard, but I just really feel like, obviously it's easier said than done, but we just need to be creative. We need to think outside the box. Do you know what I mean, babe? We yes. need to... We need to find find other other ways ways to diversify in terms of monetization, and I think that's where platforms like the Floor will be really, really, really helpful for a lot of um, artists that can't do shows over the next sort of six to twelve months, and for for people that want to have more of a direct fan to um, artist relationship. I think this is the perfect time to sort of build on the technology that can make that happen, to make that safe and to make it fair in terms of making sure that everybody can cut through on, on, on the platform. Because, you know, as, as you know, with things like socials, sometimes only two to 5% of your followers actually see your content unless you can afford to have the money behind you, like maybe from a major label. If you haven't got money behind you to advertise your, your posts to your own followers that you've gained, with your own content, I mean, that just is, is just crazy that a lot of emerging artists are having to deal with that. They're creating and giving away content to these huge platforms for free. And um, the, 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 the community and the people and the friends that they've taken and given those platforms to don't even see their work unless they pay. 
so we're now paying for people to see our to see our work and so oh, you know i think it's all going to have to really really shift and i think the big you know the big boys are going to have to just get the ethics right on it because i think that yes. they, they may start to lose fans and that's just a reality really everyone's hard up for it financially and as you said you know the last people that deserve to be punished are, are the sectors that have lost out really really badly and that and that is the creative sectors and we create content so we need to be able to be creative and we need to be able to allow that content to find fans without all this stuff in the middle so i'm hoping that the tech space gets a lot more creative and that the artists who can't do shows are supported in being able to still let their work reach their fans you're obviously a very much a family person you moved back into the family home you have yeah. an interesting background. You, you grew up in South London to Zimbabwean parents. How much did that influence your music, really? My heritage, as well as the, the community that I grew up in, like they definitely inspire me equally. The, the beautiful thing about growing, growing up in a place that's very, very culturally diverse and vibrant, like South London, um, and there are other places as well, L lots of amazing communities like that in the UK. And I guess in London, there are places like East London and South London and areas of, you know, West London. They just have this, um, this vibrancy, which I think a lot of diverse communities brought in. And so when you grow up in an area like that, you've got like all these rhythms you grow up with. South London's famous for a lot of sound system culture, for yeah. a lot of punk. South East London, you've got you've got people like Jerry Dammers is down there, and you yeah. know, you've got the Albany, which used to put on a lot of amazing oh, punk gigs and yeah, and sound systems in, in the 80s and stuff like that. So I think, yeah, being being a kid like in in the 90s and hearing all those sounds, whether it was punk or UK garage or or pop or like being being a little girl and hearing you know artists like Omar and and, and Sade and Soul to Soul, um, I feel like just really it inspired me just as much as you know the the African rhythms I grew up with because I guess the more I started to to sort of play music and be in bands, my first band was a band called Turn of Life. And um, that was also with Dan on guitar, Dan from the Noisettes, yep. Tom Mann on drums, absolutely incredible, beautiful soul, and Jamie Lawrence on bass. And for, at one point we had um, Pharaoh uh, Russell, who's an amazing jazz drummer now, who used to play drums with Sonaflight. And then that kind of evolved into Noisettes, I guess, if you like. So we grew up putting on a lot of our own events. There's a very, there's very much a DIY spirit when you grow up in a place like South London, because it was a bit more rough and ready then. You know, they used to call Peckham Trottersville, no money back, no guarantee, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So there was very much like DIY spirit. The community really supported you. If you wanted to put on a party, you just let the neighbours know. And, you know, you charge people a quid or two to come in. You'd sell your, your CDs or like your, 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 your tapes or whatever. Before the noisettes, when I was in secondary school and also through throughout the noisettes and throughout my career i think i've always maintained this very kind of down-to-earth diy spirit i really like what whatever my achievements are to feed back to the community in some way i am a, an ambassador for an amazing youth arts uh, group called second wave who are ba based um in deptford used to be at the albany and also for midi music which is run by a phenomenal woman who is a free woman of, of the borough of Lewisham and she, she's a Wazzy Brewster, um, MBE or OBE, I can't remember which one. And Shaka Khan is also an ambassador for MIDI music, as is um, Jazzy B. So I kind of like, yeah, grew up looking up to all these amazing people who, who kind of got famous, but always kind of gave back to the community in a yes. kind of way. And so to me, 
that's my heritage and South London. They both play a huge role in, in kind of my, my personality, my, my, my audacity, my creativity, and just my love of people really. And this is why I do it. Cause I think when you're a musician, for me, I'm more on a quest and this is bigger than me. So, so I want to leave something positive behind me when I go. And I want that to benefit the communities that gave me so much love and so much inspiration as well. Great. Uh, can I ask you a bit, a little bit? Tell me about your time at the Brit School. How important was that? Because that's a, you know, that would have been a. Was that a big change to come from the, from South London yeah. to go to the Brit School? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a lot more deeper into South London. It's, um, it's kind of going more towards all Croydon way. I think it was a big turning point for me because before I was going to quite a posh school, which was kind of more, more, more sort of based on the grammar school sort of curriculum okay. and, and music and the arts were not really respected unless they were like in the sort of classical sort of realm, you know, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so unless you, unless you were prepared to sort of take the piano or, or the cello or a classical or inverted commas instrument to grade eight, you, you, you would then be allowed to do A-level music. But before that, it wasn't really sort of offered. It was very much concentrated on, on um, the classical subjects. However, I'm a massive history buff, so I still got a lot out of that. And I really, you know, I, I excelled at history and, and, and English and did a bit of drama there, which helped me actually get into the Brit School. So the Brit School definitely turned it around because I just got to be in this like amazing kind of environment where everybody was creative people used to say is it like fame and stuff like that <laughs> and i was like well the closest thing you can get to that but like deep in the middle of the sticks of south london <laughs> so so yeah it was just there was there was so much like yeah there was just so much so much to learn there and i and i actually ended up doing music by accident really because i met dan there and you know dan was in a couple of years above me i think in um what he was studying he was doing music i actually did theater and drama and i went on to continue doing that when i went to to uni as well so i was still kind of quite adamant that i wanted to do drama and theater and make films because i just i felt like film and, and theater and drama had such a big impact and I ended up kind of, you know, singing in, um, singing in a lot of uh, covers bands actually with Dan and Dan's dad, who's an amazing, amazing man called Bill Smith. Bill Smith is a, a beautiful harmonica player and used to play in a lot of blues bands in the in the seventies with people like John John Mayle from John Mayle's oh, Blues wow. Explosion. Yeah. Um, you know, people like Soft Machine. Um, Bill Smith introduced us to a lot of good decent rock and roll stuff which my mum was already into my mum was into like Hendrix like Uriah Heep all that kind of stuff and so meeting Dan was really really cool because he was the one that kind of stole me away from from my budding kind of acting career and um and then and then we ended up being in a band with with um with Bill and um actually the bass player Bob Brunning who is actually no longer with us who was the original bass player in Fleetwood Mac oh so yeah, babe, wow. I know my rock and roll history. I know yeah. my, I'm, a, I'm a very good, I really love my music lineology. It's a really big thing to me because I feel like the more I learn, um, and obviously as being a female of color and having my journey in the last decade, I've learned how many people have still been written out 
of all of the big books and all of the big magazines and all of the mainstream coverage. So musical lineage is a great way to explore kind of society in a way. It tells you a lot about, you know, like what, what London was like in the 70s in the, in the rock against racism times and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, all the people that went, that went to bat for it and, and actually how a lot of music and counterculture helped change and evolve British culture for the better. Do you know what I mean? And made yes. it a lot more open-minded and a lot more liberal so I think yeah that's that's a big thing for me so yeah the Brit school was you know was amazing because you know I, I got to meet people like like I said people like um, people like Dan and so many amazing other uh, other people there and I haven't looked back I suppose you know music is is my love but now I realize that it's all it, it, it's my love for creativity is, is is all that matters you know I, I'm, I'm i'm still going to do more kind of acting and film stuff i've done music for um film and television and so that's so yeah it's it's, it's a journey that i'm coming back to now and kind of like amalgamating the the, the, the two things so yeah it was a really amazing time for me With the advent of streaming and subsequent decline in global record sales, it's become harder than ever to forge a career in the music business. I asked Shingi how difficult it was for her and Dan to make a success of the noisettes. I was, I was in bands probably from about sort of 17 and I don't think I got signed until I was like in my mid-20s. Yeah. So noisettes really trucked around for a good sort of I think it was a good five years before we got signed um even though we were quite prolific we'd we'd, we'd released um you know an EP and, and 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 sort of singles and actually done a few tours as well before we got signed and we actually found, found it so impossible to get signed by a UK label that we never did and it was actually Motown records that picked us up in America so um yeah an amazing um lady called Jolene Cherry saw a photograph <laughs> of me and Dan and, 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 and the band playing on a, on a gig on a carousel in Brighton by the beach. Oh, and, no. um, and she was just so like fascinated by this picture. I think I had like dinosaurs and toys in my hair and I had this really crazy hairstyle and I just really kind of used to, well, I still do. I, I really went in with the whole outfits and the face paint and she was fascinated by this picture. And then, and then our manager at the time, who she was obviously trying to field bands to, had shown her this picture. And then Joni was like, oh, are they serious? Like, do they, do they, I mean, she, she's, she, she's beautiful. I mean, you know, she, she looks like a star. What's, what do they sound like? You know, it was literally... It was like a scene from those kind of like rock biopic, those music biopic films. But yeah, so so then Susan sent her um, sent her some music, and like within a week or two, we were on a flight um, out to LA to do a showcase at the Roxy with like all the big wigs. Oh my goodness! On yeah, do you know what I mean? Like on Sunset Boulevard, opposite the Viper Rooms, and I'm just like, oh my god, what's what's <laughs> happening? So yeah, things just changed overnight, but we really grafted. I mean, I think, yeah, Dan and I were in bands probably for about seven years before we got signed. So I haven't looked back since. Um, we were really lucky we got to make our first record um, in, um, in California, an amazing studio called The Plant, where, where, um, which was made by, which was built by Sly, Sly and the Family Stone and loads of people from them to, to, to Metallica. Rumours by Fleetwood Mac was recorded there. 
we got to really, really, really sort of go in and, you know, we were really not sort of like listened to and stuff in terms of our creativity. Um, you know, and, and we and we carried on, you know, what Wild Young Hearts, that was a record that re I really loved making. And the same with Contact, we really loved making that. And um, and I definitely find that it's harder now for emerging artists to make a living. And um, we were just, we were really lucky that I think we definitely grew organically but the label you know that the, the american label kind of invested in us in, in 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 the right places i think for the first album by the time we did the second album wild deal hearts we were then based in um when the motown kind of um part of motown and we were starting to collapsed we ended up going to being what can i say kind of like inherited by another universal label which was which was Mercury Vertigo in the UK. And things were really, 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 really tough, I think, uh, for us then um, with, 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 with that label. But musically and creatively, I'm super proud of everything that we've, that, that we've done. And, and, and since then, since, since, since going independent, doing Ancient Futures and um, making the record too bold, I feel like it's just, I've just been on a really like sort of natural, naturally um, like nourishing musical journey. Like as an artist, I feel like I've, I'm probably one of the most versatile um, artists um, that's managed to survive because we've got so many friends who've been in bands that haven't survived, as you said, you yes. know, the, the, the conversion to, 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 to streaming and digital. Um, we've, the Noisettes did both. So what's the time Mr. Wolf was available on, 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 on vinyl and on, and on CD when we did Wild Young Hearts and Contact, that's when streaming was starting. So we were really lucky. I mean, we still get hundreds of thousands of, of, of streams a month, Noisettes, because of the way that we sort of set things up. Um, and so I've been able to access some of those, you know, some of those fans have, 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 have come with me. And then also with the new sort of streaming generation, because Ancient Futures and the, the stuff that I'm writing now, some of which it still is with Dan as well, by the way, because he's an amazing collaborator, you know, he's, yes. like a, he's a big brother, he really, he really gets me. Yeah. And we, you know, we always push each other, you know, we will never accept like a kind of like medium take from each other. So, um, yeah, so, so even the stuff that I'm writing now, it's just... Um, I've been really lucky that I've just, 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 just made sure that I've always pushed myself. I think with every chapter, musically that I've had, and with the other collaborations, you know, like with with the dance world, you know, people like Dennis Ferrer and stuff like that with the Hey Hey record. I read the other week that you you sang on that, and it was a huge hit, but you went uncredited. So how That's did that right. happen? How did that happen? How does it make you feel that kind of thing? Well, you know, I, I, I'm I'm not, you know, I wouldn't be the first, and you know, it it mm. does happen. It, it, it has happened to a lot of people and I think it's, it's um, you know, there are different factors why that is. I mean, I think that it wasn't just like, you know, my label and his label, my management and his, and his management. I think all, all of the different parties kind of had a part to, a part to play. Well, I read that, but, that I read that this was um, in conjunction with an article about something I really didn't know of and I was quite shocked about how there's a growing problem with black female singers going uncredited on hit records is something you kind of think, oh, well, it'll be something that will be improving over the years, but it's something that seems to be happening more. Is, is that correct? And, and why is that happening? Yeah, 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 it's true, you're right. Yes, there, there, yeah, we did a, um, an amazing, a feature which was quite insightful um, with, with, with Jumi in The Guardian. And I think That's that, right. I think it's a lot to do with just, just 
there is a culture of like, okay, so you know, earlier I talked about musical lineage. So I think there's a culture in musical lineage in pop culture where a lot of black artists and particularly black female artists are kind of written out of the journey of pop music and rock and roll. And so a lot, most of the producers and most of the sort of DJs in the sort of streaming culture are that, that are positioned and supported and signed to major labels happen to be white men. So you've got your fat boy slims, you've got your chemical brothers, you've got your, you know, your Sigma, you've got your Sigalas, you've got your, you know, there are so there, 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 there are so many prolific and, and, you know, really great in their own rights acts who are white male DJ producers. Right. And, um, if you kind of go back to like, even, even in the sort of seventies and the eighties, just as sample culture was creeping in, you'd have someone like Joan Armour Trading, but then you couldn't have a Joan Armour Trading and a Tracy Chapman at the same time. It would kind of be like a one in one out situation, you know, yes. almost like a quota. And actually that extends to white women as well. You know, it was like, if you had Stevie Nicks, you wouldn't have a Janis Joplin at the same time as well. So it feels like the music industry in terms of the ones that are positioned, it's undeniably that the most positioned artists over the last 50 years of pop music have usually been uh, white males. And so when sample culture cre crept in, it was quite accepted that you could just go crate digging is what they used to call it. I saw a program about it actually where, where um, Fatboy Slim, I think Norman, Norman Cook is his name, was talking about how it was kind of like, kind of just something that people did in the 80s. People would go sort of crate digging. It was at the beginning of, you know, sampling culture. And it was a bit of a wild, wild west. Everyone was just wanted to be creative. And, you know, it was a race to find the most exciting vocal sample. So you had a lot of like, uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of black singers voices were used and um, you would never really know, you know, it was before you would say featuring so-and-so. So I don't know, there's songs like, oh Lord, hey, I'm in chains. Ain't nobody know that you're rebel I've seen. Do you know that person's name? Uh, no. That's a question. You remember me, I'm the one who had your baby, I am. Whoa, whoa. That's three out of like 10 songs I could name, but you would always be able to name the producer DJ, but the singers were never credited. So I don't think it was something that was purposefully done. It was just the culture behind it, which probably stemmed from the fact that it was just something that maybe was overlooked because the majority of the artists that were positioned at that time were white males. And the same thing tended to happen in rock and roll, the onset of, rock and roll in the sort of 50s, 60s and 70s. I remember meet, meeting um, Paul McCartney and working with Paul McCartney actually. I did something with, with, with Paul McCartney and, and, and an incredible show with him. And he was saying that in the 60s, Sister Rosetta Tharp used to come and do these shows and do these residencies. And anybody who was anybody that wanted to be a musician or wanted to be a guitar player would be sure to like be at those shows or to catch her on TV. And because she was sort of really inspiring them, showing, her, showing them the real gospel, African, blues-inspired way to get those rock and roll licks. And, you know, just somewhere along the way, people, names like hers just got forgotten. People just got written out of the lineage of like whatever rock and roll and pop music is. And so, yeah, I'm always sort of subconsciously aware that I like to know that my music can celebrate the African contribution to pop music in yes. the last 
50 years and, and the black which is the black contribution to to pop music over the last 50 years so like i said i don't think it was an intentional thing i think the culture just arose because most of the people in the room were white men and they were probably just enjoying this music so much and people just didn't credit and now we're living in an air, in an era where intellectual property people take it a lot more seriously now publishing is taken a lot more seriously now because we've learned from all the disputes in pop music culture and rock and roll from i mean i'm sure probably 50 60 percent of every band that's ever been famous has had a dispute with crediting and publishing so now it's we're getting there, but we need to, we, de we definitely need to kind of make things, make the playing field a lot more equal. And when, when you do feature someone, you should say, I think it's really important that you feature the person who's part of the music that's made you famous. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And what, so what do you think of the attempts by Kelly Lee and Michelle Escoffrey to get um, retrospective changes made to performance rights for black female singers? Well, I, I, I think those changes should apply to everybody, to be honest. I think mm. um, when I say, I mean, everyone going forward, I just think that I'd like to see the next generation of, of producer DJs because that's, that's who seem to be given, like producer DJs seem to often be given a lot more respect and better record deals and better deals than actually artists at the moment. It's yeah. actually crazy. <laughs> like singers are sometimes going in and doing sessions as you read in the article for like 500 quid or 200 quid. And, you know, obviously, but, th but then the producer DJ is the person who's going to be positioned. He's going to be on the billboards. And I, and I say he, because 95% of them are white male producer producer DJs. Someone like David Guetta, I was, I really love the way that someone like him has kind of come forward and actually kind of changed the culture a little bit because you'll never see a David, you'll never hear a David Guetta song with a, with a vocalist on it that doesn't say featuring Sia or featuring Kelly Rowland or do you know what I mean? So yes. that's kind of like how it should be. We should all be respected. And the voice is the carrier of that song. Yeah, the production and the musicianship is important because you know obviously I you know I'm, I'm, I'm a bass player and a guitar player and a co-producer myself so I understand how important the music is but these songs these voices they carry the anthems that soundtrack our times and our greatest highs and lows do you know what I mean so yeah. to not even like feature them and credit them properly is something that, that definitely needs to be vanquished as soon as possible in my humble opinion. And how important is it for people like yourself who are, who are having success to speak up actually on behalf of people who aren't as successful as you? Well, I feel like if I didn't, it kind of just would, it, it, it wouldn't be fair. But then I also don't really mm. judge people that don't speak up because a lot of artists who are female that speak up, regardless of whatever colour they are, when female artists tend to speak up, they do risk opportunities. They risk yes. opportunities at the label in terms of how they're positioned or they might be labeled as stirring things up or troublemaking or raising awareness to something that like, maybe the boss of that entity doesn't feel is important. And um, yeah, so as a woman of color, I've definitely risked a lot of opportunities to the point where actually now I have to be independent and have to have my own label almost by force because I feel like I didn't get, well, I didn't get the same support from a lot of companies and entities that the creativity of, of the Noisettes and myself supported, we didn't get that support from them. 
when we wanted to continually evolve our careers and do our individual projects. After the Noisettes recorded three albums and enjoyed a batch of hit singles, including the UK number two smash, Don't Upset the Rhythm, Shingi began her solo recording career with the 2019 EP, Ancient Futures. You might call this chapter of Shingi the solo career. I don't really, I, I think that's not necessarily the right label for me because I still love making music with my band. I love making music with Dan. Toby plays drums on um, several of the songs on Ancient Futures and he's the drummer for the Noisettes. So we're still very much active as a group and actively collaborating with, e with each other. But then again, you will see um, a lot of white males because maybe they are signed to people that kind of look like them or maybe they feel like they relate to them more but they are still having their careers you know well into their 40s 50s 60s and 70s <laughs> we can name quite a few that are still going strong but like where are the females once they hit their 30s 40s 50s 60s unless they're americans which i feel like americans are a lot more ahead in terms of they just want great music. They don't care that Eartha Kitt was in her 80s. They su yeah. supported her last album. She still did tours. So many of them, so many R&B artists from America, they're still pr prolifically doing stuff. Whether it's Je Je you know, Jennifer Lopez or Beyonce, or there's so many American artists that still tend to respect the art more than they don't worry so much about what the person looks like as long as they can market it and package it and the music's good they tend to let it you know let it have a career and so we need to i definitely kind of we need to just kind of get a bit more closer to that level in the uk i think it's just just still a little bit too much of an of, of an old boys club and yes. um i think we can just do we can just do a bit better and it would just obviously it would make the music scene much more exciting as well because we just have more variety of stuff like on the radio and on the television and stuff in general wouldn't we do you feel that you have had to become more agile because you haven't had that kind of backing? You've had to sort of open up to a lot of different things and, and you're, you're very good at promoting on different formats. Uh, is that, Thank you. Uh, has that become because you've had to do that? Or is it because you um, like doing it or both? I, I think I was, I, I think, you know, I, I'll go back to what I said earlier, Jim, like I think just sort of growing up in a really like diverse, supportive, creative community, like Southeast London, where everyone was kind of hustling, whether you were Irish, whether you were Cockney, whether you were Indian, whether you were Nigerian, Jamaican, Zimba, Welsh, everyone was in it together. And I feel like now we have slight danger, obviously since Brexit and since the, 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 the confluence of social media and materialism and all that kind of stuff, it definitely has changed a lot of our, our sort of habits. So I think I'm a bit, I'm, I'm, you know, when it comes to, as you say, the agility, I think that's just a, a, me being a product of my upbringing and my family and my heritage who were quite sort of resilient. They went through so much um, so that I could go to school and have everything that I needed. But, you know, my mum's generation, they had so much happen to them. You know, I mean, my mum was, my mum was a child soldier in the war for independence from Rhodesia. So she experienced, I mean, they experienced so much in terms of the pre-colonial era. So she just wanted us to 
to thrive, not just survive. She wanted us to enjoy our lives and give something back because of all the sacrifices that she'd made and all the family members that we'd lost along the way because of a lot of these, these some, some of these other issues. So for me, the agility, it's worth it. It's worth taking the risk if I have to speak out on certain things. I try to lead from the heart. I try to sort of keep calm. I mean, emotionally, it can be a bit of a roller coaster sometimes, but I always remember that, you know what, Jim, music is such a healing, wonderful connecting force. And it reminds us actually how much more we have in common. And that's why it doesn't make sense that, that segregation can negatively impact music because music, you go to an art gallery, Jim, you go to the theatre, Jim, you go to the ballet, you're not going to see a diverse crowd of people. No. Not yet. Hopefully in the future, we're definitely going to see that. I think we're going to have to get there. But if you go to a gig, you go to a festival, it's, it's everyone and everyone. It's all ages. It's all colours. It's all... And music just has this thing where it just... It, like, magnetises people towards each other. It, it gets people chatting. Oh, wow, I, I like your hair. Oh, wow, I like, your, I like your jeans. Or where did you get that? If A lot of people have met some of their best mates at gigs and festivals. Yeah. You can't say you've met your... You know, and I love the theatre, don't get me wrong. I love, I, love, I love classical dance. I love the ballet. I love going to art exhibitions and stuff. But they, they've got a long way to go in terms of diversifying their audiences. But music, no matter who's on stage, if it's good, people will come and they'll get chatting and they'll make a friend at the bar. Well, let's so hope they I can think, get that like, back soon, really. We're, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. I'm, 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 like a, I'm a stubborn optimist. I'm a stubborn yeah, optimist. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You <laughs> yeah. make me feel better. Oh, good. That's all we want. That's all we want. Well, God, wait till you hear too bold. That one's going to send you on an emotional roller coaster. I guarantee. Actually, yeah. So tell me about tell me about the new album, which is coming out in October. Yeah, yeah, it's coming out in October. Um, you know, with 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 my um, the way that I wrote my previous albums, even though Too Bold is still written collaboratively with a few other co-writers and and co-producers it was really my way of like singing about a lot of stuff that was a lot more kind of personal. I really went into my feels a lot more and, you know, I'm talking about my experiences with like, you know, childhood grief and stuff like that and how music helped me survive that and how music has helped me navigate all of the, um, all of the, all of the harsh things that I've been through. Music has just been like my constant, I guess creativity has been like my constant companion and a way to sort of express the unexpressible sometimes. And so I really wanted to go into my feels with this one, Jim. I really wanted to not hold back on singing about certain subjects. And it's not that I wouldn't have sang about them with the Noisettes, because, uh, you know, the Noisettes have a variety of happy songs and sad songs alike. But when you write for stuff that's going to be performed by a band and the band is singing it, you just have, you know, I, I tend to write things in a slightly different way. Um, but yeah, Too Bold is, um, I'm talking about a lot of, um, a lot of just, yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's, there's a lot of poignant emotions on the record and there's a lot of amazing different colours and, and musical textures on the record that not only evolve and take you through my musical journey from noisettes through to my love of, you know, electronic music and dance music and experimentalism, but also the, the, the African rhythms that we talked about and the South London rhythms that we talked about earlier. So musically, 
the music is actually really quite uplifting in a lot of places but I'm juxtaposing it by just singing about a lot of just a lot of real emotions and like real feelings and stuff like that so yeah I feel like you're you'll be laughing and potentially crying at different points you'll be dancing I think it I'm, I'm I think it sort of ticks all the boxes shall we just say Jim so I'll, I'll kind of leave you to hear it and then make your own kind of give me your own kind of feedback on it when you can but um yeah it's definitely an emotional roller coaster it's a rhythmical roller coaster it's genre well they call it genre fluid now but obviously you can deduce from the conversation we've had today that i i must have been born genre fluid because the noise x were doing that when <laughs> nobody knew what to call it so so yeah that's 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 a little bit about too bold and um yeah i'm very excited about it but i'm also i'm also feeling a little bit um nervous about it because it's quite it exposes i think a lot of my yeah it just exposes you know some of my my vulnerabilities in in, in places yeah. i suppose yeah are you able to elaborate on that oh i feel like i don't want to give too much away okay that's all right uh, how, yeah. how how um uh representative is um echoes of you of the album the single oh echoes of you um musically um in terms of it's kind of like um playfulness and experimentalness there's there's definitely a few more tracks that have that um that complement that vibe and then in terms of war drums which is which was the first single that we put out yep. that again it's uplifting as well so there are still moments like that but then what you're going to see from the from the title track which is called too bold is a real exploration of what it was like growing up as a kid in South East London, exploring times when we didn't have much, but we had to make it stretch. You know, we had to turn copper into gold, so to speak. So I'm speaking about a lot of those experiences and what it's like to lose a parent as a child and, yes, you know, yeah. try to sort of be the one in your that holds up your family and entertains your family and your community because it's the only way that can help you process emotions that you don't know how to process. What, you know, I'm singing about what it's like to have a lot of responsibilities being a young black girl, you know, and I suppose, you know, a lot of um, a lot of immigrant children, I think, share this. And actually, not just immigrants, I think a lot of children whose parents are quite stretched in terms of their means know what that's like to like have to be almost like start adulting from when you're sort of like 11, 12, like you're, you're you know, you're doing you're doing jobs. You're, 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 you're helping be the carer of maybe someone in your family. I'm singing about mental health issues that I've ex witnessed and experienced other people close to me. So yeah, topically, it's we're going in, babes. That's all I can say. But yeah. musically, it's definitely, I think, um, I made the effort to juxtapose some of the su subject matter. So the music, you might not even realise realize you're listening to a sad song because the music might be so sweet and happy. <laughs> oh, I love songs like that, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, like, it's got that gin tonic, I think they call yes, it. That, that, yes, That happy sad, I think is what they call it in jazz, isn't it? Gin and tonic or something like that. Oh, that's, that's the sweet spot I'm aiming for. It sounds like you've put a hell of a lot of yourself into this record. It's, it, must, it must have been exhausting. Babe, it is. I mean, it's nearly, it nearly broke me because I was also finishing it during lockdown at the family home that I hadn't lived with everyone, like, like I said, since I was a teenager. Because I left home when I was a teenager, I knew what I wanted to do. I was already quite focused and I knew 
that how I knew that I wanted music to make my family situation better. I knew that I wanted music to make my community situation better. And I knew that I wanted to use the power of music to shine a light on how much better we can also all, all do in terms of human nature as well. So I've been working up to this, I think, for a bit. Do you know what I mean, Jim? Yeah. And now it's like it's it's all kind of exploding out. And um, and yeah, so so make finishing it during lockdown was was also maybe that's another episode in itself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope it's going to be a massive success. It, sound, it oh, sounds like it's going to be a great record. Oh, thank you. Um, and, you know, like, like I said, for me, when it, when it comes to success, for me, the greatest success is knowing that I've been able to create something that really expresses my truth and my passion for this gift and, 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 and this talent that, that, you know, I dedicate every like ounce of my being to to the detriment of relationships that have come and gone along the way there's a lot that goes into making this dream happen and you know I'm not going to be the first artist to say that and I'm not going to be the last and and I hope artists don't give up on that passionate spirit of like following their dreams and 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 not not making too many compromises because I think the world is ready to hear whatever the music is that people really want to sing about now you shouldn't have to feel like, oh, I've got to make this fast food music or I've got to make this like, you know, I've got to make chicken shop music or I've got to make music that's only going to go to this demographic because otherwise I'm, I'm not going to be cool or I'm not going to be signed yeah. or I'm yeah. not going to be... That, that, that's, I think, a little bit more damaging in the long term for artists' mental health because then they get signed for a minute just to make this specific type of fast food music for a demographic and then they get booted and there's another one on the conveyor belt right behind them yes. and their dreams are shattered. They have to move back in with, you know, whatever, move back in with their parents, start another business, start another job when they've been working their whole life towards this. And they've been told, oh, yeah, just put out that record that might not even be you or that single. And then we're going to let you do what you want to do. Mm. Then you can do the record that's you. And 90 percent of the time, a lot of artists that's not honoured, do you know what I mean? By a lot of, the, the, the commercial part of it anyway. I mean, it's getting a lot better, obviously, in the independent part of the industry, but I really feel like the world is such a hard place to navigate now more than ever. So for up-and-coming artists, if you've got that gift and talent of music, it should be able to serve you as well, do you know what I mean? You should be able to walk away going, I really love that record I made. And I've met so many artists since going independent who were signed to major labels or who had their little two, three years that they were allowed in the sun before then they were then again replaced because of different factors, whether it's ageism or racism or whatever it is. There's been, there was just this conveyor belt that was going on for a bit too long. And when I speak to them, they're like, oh, I just wish I'd at least got a record out of it that I can look back and be proud of. But you know what, yeah. Shingy? I didn't even like that track, but they made me put it out. It's heartbreaking to hear stories like that. That's awful. But I want to end on a positive note. Yes, um, let's be, let's be yeah, positive. I, 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 was I, I, I was trying to say to the next generation, success shouldn't just be defined by sales. It's got to be defined by walking away with a product that you really enjoyed making and you enjoyed the journey of making it as well. That's really important because you'll always have happy memories of making it, whatever happens with it. Whether 100,000 people buy it or 100 people buy it, at least you're always going to have it. And you're going to smile when you listen to it because you're going to remember bobbing your head to it in the studio, larking about with your mates and the producers and the label going, we really love this record. It's you and we're going to get behind you.
Thanks very much to Shingi for appearing on the podcast. As well as being a great singer and musician, she's a whirlwind of positivity and all-round lovely person. Too Bold is released on October the 12th. Thanks also to Shingi's management team of Chad and Natalie for facilitating the interview, Tim Bricheno for his music and Mark Taplin for his artwork. Goodbye.